1: Hey, everybody, it's me, your bald, fucking jovial, fucking naive as fuck, fucking 12-year-old,
0: airbending wizard, Jake Young. And it is I, your firebending weird guy with a rash on his face. It's not
1: a rash! (laughs) What is it? It's a fucking burn from his fucking dad, you fucking pretender! (laughs) How dare you besmirch Prince Zuko! He fought for his honor! Bruiser, Holden McNeely. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, this week, we are going into Avatar, the last airbender. Uh, For Legend of Korra fans, I'm just going to say right off the bat, uh, we were already several days into researching this, and we knew we had to triage. So maybe we'll do a bonus, or maybe maybe we'll do a a follow-up later.
0: That'd be cool. We should do a bonus um, uh, about Legend of Korra. Well,
1: that would mean that you'd have to go to patreon.com slash whizbrew and join the uh, Patreon bonus feed. Oh, shit! And get an extra episode every week. But whatever.
0: We'll do that later. Uh, Uh, Also, by the way, this is a Patreon-donated episode. Oh, yeah,
1: of course. Of course, when you donate to the Patreon, you can at certain tiers, you can just like give us topics we have to do.
0: So, this is from Sean Atchison. Thank you so much, Sean. And Sean is promoting his podcast. It's called Influenza. My buddy Alex and I delve deep into pop culture cornerstones to find out the things that influence them and the things they would go on to influence. It's great for listeners of Witch and the Bruiser. It sounds actually great. Really you stay great. off our turf! It sounds good! They should listen to this. Since it's more nerd culture history and it's full of interesting connections, you never knew about also pop love my girlfriend chelsea cruz and i choose amongst our favorite movies tv shows comics etc to write a verbal love letter to if you want to hear two geeks genuinely and lovingly talk about why they love pop culture this podcast is for you well i think that all of our audience likes that so fantastic thank you so much sean check out pop love and the Influenza podcast alright now it is time to talk about Avatar I loved learning about this I think my favorite part about learning about this uh, is learning all about their pitch process I am in the process of uh, pitching oh, yeah. ideas and um, I love hearing about people's successful pitches and their message is great so that is one of my favorite things I will say I will admit Jake has watched way more of the show than me I have not really seen a ton of the show it is a show I've been meaning to get around to my friends recommended it to me years ago and I love the whole gist of it they're just like hey it's 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 a Nickelodeon show for kids but it's works for adults and it's like surprisingly really funny and like really really just genuine and you can just tell that the people who made this thing have a great passion and love for uh, for the, their work, and it, it it just bleeds through in every corner of Avatar.
1: There's the making of it. There's there's the there's uh, Brian and Michael as creators. That's like incredibly fascinating. But also what this series represents in terms of like the history of I, I swear to God, it is a fucking. Vertex of like the entirety of animation culture up until that point totally because uh, you know I could start a fight right now our Facebook group uh, will tear itself asunder uh, For a good reason (laughs) for once Uh, If I if I make the declaration that I'm about to make fuck it I'm saying it avatar is an anime avatar might be better than an anime avatar is a Okay, you know when how in Mass Effect 3 there was like kill everyone or save everyone or synthesis Mm, mm-hmm. Avatar is almost a perfect synthesis of Western animation tradition yes. and anime traditions. Yes, kind of taking what works from both and creating something that, for something, that for fans, is an almost transcendent work of art. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. The way I'd like to, the way I always think about it. Wow, my mouth is real wet today. <laughs> I apologize. I am salivating with the excitement over this. He's
0: literally I've never seen so much water come out of a man's mouth that is pure Am I, am I a bender? It's am dripping. Am I a
1: bender or did I have a seizure? Who knows? <laughs> Get him up. The way that it takes the the serialized um the serialized story, the uh intense action, the uh more believable or you know, for cartoons standards uh, understanding of violence and romance, and acknowledges like psychology. The way that it then issues like a lot of the things, a lot of like kind of the darker kind of you know the the misogyny, the racism, like the kind of the kind of shittier elements of anime. You know, and I'm not trying to be a fucking prude here. Everybody on earth has watched an anime, and there's always been like a fucking panty sniffing scene. You just go like. Guys, come on.
0: And they they talked about, we should go, I mean, so so the two main men involved in I'm this, by the way. I'm not done drooling. <laughs> the two main men involved in this, Michael uh, DiMartino and Brian Konietzko.
1: Dante DiMartino.
0: Dante DiMartino. Um, these two guys uh, were talking in an interview that we both listened to, and they were talking about how, um, especially, I forget which one specifically was saying this, but it was like growing up. I, I, before they saw Princess Mononoke, they, you know, were kind of turned off by anime in a huge way because, especially, of that. Uh,
1: you know, they're guy they're like a little bit older than us, but they're around our age, so they grew up in the nineties, and it was stuff like Ninja Scroll. Yeah. You know, it was very titillating, very Fist of boring. the North
0: Star, and and it was very like um, nihilistic. Yeah, it was very nihilistic, super ultra violent, very dark, very edgy with a lot of like, um, uh, you know, uh, gross stuff with ladies.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's there's room for that. But like there can be more to it. And, you know, at the time, that wasn't what was making its way to uh, American shores. You know, anime was pretty much. Uh, grainy uh, syndicated TV shows or the back section of Suncoast Video.
0: Exactly, and and that's the point, too, right? You really had to... You had to, like, know a guy. Like, you had to really uh, seek this stuff out and and no one just kind of bash you over the head with it. Like all I have to do, you know, and I've literally done this recently is just look up like greatest anime series of all times and you can find a a trillion top ten lists that will, you know, at least point you into the direction of where the good anime is, you know. But this is different, you know. It's like um, this is a different time. You, You had to seek it out. And I also remember that. I remember my first anime experiences were like, Ghost in the Shell, and Akira, and, and that was kind of it in a lot of ways, like in the blockbuster, you know what I mean? And so in my head, like, anime, and we've talked about the way that they promoted anime in America during that time, but in my head, I was like, oh, anime is just like, it's it's specifically adult, which means tits and violence, essentially, you know what I mean? So that's like a lot of what it was promoted as, but it was like, no, 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 it's just, that's the Japanese art art form, their, their version of, you know, what we have for animation and cartoons, mm. Um, it's not necessarily that it has to have tits and fucking buckets of blood splashed everywhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. And what? that's what they found with Miyazaki. And then when they discovered Miyazaki's work, it was like, oh, I see. There is some real potential here, you know? And 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 it inspired them deeply uh, in order to, you know, create Avatar.
1: I mean, Miyazaki can pull off some good fucking violence, but, you know, it's when it counts. God mm-hmm. dang it. Exactly. Fucking worm bore creatures just wriggling around. There you um, go. So our two protagonists, I guess, are uh, two nerds, two good friends. But here's the thing. I, this, is, this is something that I really love, is the way that they are two specific flavors of nerd yes. that kind of combine together and create that perfect avatar formula. This synthesis uh, could only have come from these two guys. Yes. Uh, Michael uh, Dante DiMartino.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Brian Knetzko. I, yes. That's how I pronounce it. He, I know that's not how it's actually pronounced. <laughs> Brian was from Georgia, and he was, like, yes. an intense nerd. He was skinny. In early pictures of him, like, in early uh, promotional stuff for the original Avatar series, you can tell he has, like, acne scars. Yes. And, like, he was the art guy. He was an obsessive artist, an obsessive world builder, and he was, like, truly uh, enchanted by the magic of animation and on top of that, he was like this intense physical guy. He took Bikram yoga. He took Taekwondo classes. He like studied various like forms of karate. Michael uh, Michael Michael DiMartino uh, grew up in Vermont, and he was like kind of just this easygoing, hippy dippy kind of guy, just yeah. kind of like go with the flow, pleasant, smiley guy. A perfectly round bald head, absolutely perfect. At, like Aang's head is. Michael's head it's kind of amazing they you know like any nerd they get obsessed with visual arts they get obsessed with cartoons they get obsessed with animation and they individually make their way to RISD the Rhode Island School of Design which has a great animation program I actually spent a summer in Providence at a uh, like kind of a beginner art school for high school kids uh, program I studied flash animation a very important (laughs) skill that I carry with me to this day But like, you know, it was it's this very creative, like free place. It was, you know, you'd sit, hang out at a cafe. You'd talk about whether or not furries are cool. Mm. Uh, you go to poetry readings. It's this very uh, open creative space where I just remember wandering around the campus and people were just openly creating all these amazing pieces of art. Some mind-blowing, others really pretentious, like the guy that just kept making drawings of chickens and then slathering them with pieces of raw bacon. I, don't know. He was making a statement, um, <laughs> and uh, it's together those two guys started like working together and realizing that they kind of balance each other out. Each one kind of helps the other and brings out the best in the other.
0: Yes. So they ended up uh, getting a job at the same uh, spot, a uh, film Roman oh. and American Animation Studio. Now,
1: hold Did you find the secret fucking center of power that no. Created- so Film Roman is okay. a studio you might have heard of because they worked on uh, th- a majority of the seasons of The Simpsons. Mm. Uh, they also worked on uh, King of the Hill and, uh, I, you know, was responsible for producing original animation and distributing animation and uh, helping like create animated series. But the reason they exist is because they were tapped as a spinoff studio from Bob Melendez, who had done the Snoopy animations. Ah. And he was overworked, and their staff was overworked, so they spun off uh, Film Roman to make Garfield and friends.
0: Ah!
1: Avatar The Last Airbender would not exist without (laughs) fucking Jim King Dick Davis. And every time you write your fucking katang. Uh, fan fictions, you fucking thank God for Garfield, because without him, we wouldn't have fucking Avatar.
0: There you go. Another amazing fucking stupid ass gift that Garfield fucking gave us.
1: (laughs) Praise be the cat, (laughs) superior to Heathcliff in every way. I am
0: not even going to get into this argument. It is not necessary to have this argument. It is a difference of opinion in which one person is clearly correct, the other person is clearly incorrect. I'll take a street cat any day. Now my mouth is so wet. <laughs> you're dr- putting water into it. That's why. Mm, drown it out. Um, so while there, Michael DiMartino he is helping direct King of the Hill, Family Guy, and Mission Hill episodes. Um, he also created an animation short called Atomic Love that made around made its way around the festival circuit. Brian Konetsko, he worked as a character designer uh, at Film Roman for Family Guy and, a, and an assistant director for Mission Hill and King of the Hill. But he also did storyboard work for Invader Zim at Nickelodeon. He would said, though, uh, by the way, for King of the or for Family Guy, on average, he said he designed one hundred characters per episode. So which all is those insane. background characters, yeah. and,
1: Which now they make like fucking, uh, you know. There's, like, programs online where you can just make Family Guy-style characters instantly. He had to actually make them. Michael was more on the directing side. He was more of a showrunner kind of guy. Yeah, totally. And uh, Brian was more on on the ground working with animators, working with the actual uh, production process. And it's very
0: clear that uh, that Brian, like, learned the grind from working at Film Roman. It it was... Just an unbelievable amount of output. And that's the sort of thing that was going to set the stage a little bit for the ludicrous amount of art that had to go into creating uh, Avatar The Last Airbender episodes.
1: So here's something that I don't know if a lot of people know about. It kind of bubbled to the surface a few years ago. But King of the Hill, uh, which was where Brian did a lot of his work for Film Roman, uh, has one of the most brutally constrictive stories. like series Bibles and style guides in the history of animation. That's cool. So when you think about how King of the Hill has this very unique kind of believable energy, Mm. that is because Mike judge and the producers of King of the Hill have close to an, you can find this online An 80 page fucking do not do this. Do not do this. This is how you draw this. Um, Like, set of parameters for the world of King of the Hill. Oh, wow. So you had Brian, who was this guy that was so enamored with the possibilities of animation and loved the creative process, and literally he was being told, like, you can't have a shot from this angle. You can't even do basic perspective because that would, like, make the show feel too uh, produced. It would make it feel too fantastical. Everything needs to be head-on. Everything needs to be in this perspective. Everything needs to be in, like, even, like, the amount of... uh, the core of animation is keyframes and poses and, you know, the fluidity of movement. Mm-hmm. And in King of the Hill, there was like no extreme poses. Everything had to be stiff on purpose. And this was killing him. He, <laughs> on his, uh, In another interview, uh, Brian was talking about how he was going to just like quit film Roman, abandon his partnership with Michael and just try and like work for Pixar and if that didn't work he'd go to the woods (laughs) he was like done with working specifically on sitcoms he wanted something bigger that's the big He wanted something
0: grand he wanted something bigger and he wanted something that was like an an overarching story that that just that flowed that didn't have to reset every single episode now they did end up moving over to invader zim both of them right or was it just uh brian i uh
1: Michael was still kept busy with Family Guy. He was okay. still doing a lot of work for Family Guy.
0: So, so it's Brian that goes to Invader Zim. Now, Invader Zim, on the other hand, and by the way, I would love to do um, an Invader Zim slash, like, Jonan Vasquez episode. Like, I oh, definitely, I like, felt any... I know, right? I fell in love with, like, the J- same Johnny summer... the Homicidal Maniac and stuff when I was, like, in college. And then... The same
1: summer I went to RISD was the summer I discovered Jan and Vasquez comics, and I... It's one of the few handfuls of things that I remember convulsed choking yes. with laughter, breathing,
0: yes. Squee and and Giant the Homicidal Maniac I and just, fucking Suicide Bunny, yeah. filler Bunny, filler Bunny, it just and the, and then fell in love with Invader Zim. Like I loved Invader. I have a memory in college of just the summer of just like it just laughing my ass off at Invader Zim, like going out and getting the DVD sets. Mm-hmm. And just having a blast. So, anyways, and that show, as much as it is still a sitcom style, like or 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 non episodic, right? Um, uh, That does have a lot of fluidity of movement and crazy angles, and it it gets really wild. um, I think you know, in terms of the animation. Oh dear God. Um, it's crazy. And, Pastulio
1: and, alone was is a revolution in the yeah. animation techniques.
0: And, and, action, and just a lot of action and a lot of big, grand um, action moments in that that I think definitely helped to train Brian for um, his great project.
1: And uh, another key thing that actually uh, influenced Brian was uh, as part of his duties for Invader Zim, he had to go to Korea Yes, For several months, because uh, this is kind of something we don't really talk about uh, is, you know, a lot of animation is produced. You know, the uh, storyboards are drawn up. Layout is done. The amount of work that goes into kind of laying out everything, producing the animatic and uh, and recording the audio happens here in America. But all over the world, there's these animation, basically, I don't want to say sweatshops because they've made improvements, uh, but these, these third party houses that the actual hard... Fucking line to paper, cell after cell after cell
0: animation is done. And I think we talked about Korea. this in our Simpsons episode, I so believe.
1: So in our Simpsons episode, so there's always been this uh, this adversarial relationship between the Korean animation houses and the Western directors. Because, you know, uh, in the Simpsons episode, I've just read a review that says we talk too much about past episodes. <laughs>
0: In the episode. We, how do we do that? We barely talk about past episodes. It's almost as if
1: culture is a giant unbroken line, and to talk about one thing, you have to talk about everything. Um,
0: <laughs> and it says, hey, why don't you go check out this other episode? You fucks. Whoever wrote that review, I'm coming at <laughs> Claim yourself on the They gave Facebook. us four
1: stars. It was pretty good. If you go. wrote
0: that review, right, I wrote that review on our Facebook page so that I can properly support it. No, they didn't. It's mean. fine. It's fine. DM. I, it's, um, <laughs>
1: it's adversarial because the, you know, it's basically the, the any mistakes, anything, any cost cutting measures, anything that doesn't go exactly as the uh Western team div- uh wanted it to is oh they fuck this up. Oh I can't believe these the the, team, the animators fuck this up. Oh the fucking Koreans, they never get this right. And uh what Brian kind of like realized while working in Korea alongside these animators is that these are true artists. These are mm. actual talented people. Who have their own form of expression? They have their own unique skills. They have their own wealth of talent that is kind of squandered and kind of forced into the box of whatever the style guides and whatever the you know the 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 animatics declare for them. When really, like, if you want the best product, you should actually unleash that talent. You should actually embrace it. You should work with them. You shouldn't like compartmentalize them. You should synthesis. There you go. That's the theme. I just declared it the Beautiful. theme is synthesis.
0: synthesis. Well, that is it really is. This is a tale of synthesis in every way. west and east, the synthesis of west and east in in, in such a huge huge way. Uh one uh, one of the uh, quotes I like here from Kenettsco um about all of this sort of uh the start the the initial um beginnings of their ideas um is Mike and I were really interested in other epic legends and lore properties like Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings, but we knew that we wanted to make a different, take a different approach to that type of genre. Our love for oh Japanese wait 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 anime, wait wait
1: wait oh 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 you're jumping you're I jumping. Am jumping a little bit you're I'm jumping
0: jump- the our, our love of Japanese anime, Hong Kong action and kung fu cinema, yoga and Eastern philosophies led us to the initial inspiration for Avatar: Last Airbender. But before that. Brian has a lunch meeting with the vice president of Nickelodeon, Eric Coleman. And this lunch meeting is pretty much the, the, the main, like they don't have any ideas. This isn't a pitch meeting. This is completely different. This is literally just a person sitting down with um, a, a high up and just talking about what they want to do that they're passionate for uh, a show with integrity, for a show that is serious in nature, that is um, a real attempt at kind of bringing all these different styles together. And also, almost more so than the product itself, process was such a big deal to Brian and Michael as well process in terms of um, seeing what these different studios were doing and having their own opinions on the way that things could and should be done if they were to have their own project and, and really turning everything on its head is they've been out to Korea they've been in you know film Roman where it's just like a, a, a lot of mass-produced stuff like that and then Invader Zim with it, I think I feel like it's a little more artisanal in a lot of ways and you can take more chance and probably realizing that Nickelodeon was the place they could go and get to have their own process
1: the Uh, Nickelodeon executive... uh, Coleman, was that the name? Yes,
0: it is uh, Eric Coleman, a very important guy, very important guy. So Eric
1: Coleman was the guy that took a risk on Steven Hillenburg and got SpongeBob. Ah! So his whole deal was... I don't even care about the premise. I see people who have passion and who are talented, and I'm just going to – whatever they end up doing, I can guide them into something that we can make use of. But having those key people on board with us is what's going to give us hits.
0: He saw Brian as a person he wanted to work with, and they had one of the most incredible – I'm so jealous of what I'm about to say. They had the most incredible situation. Um, Eric Coleman was essentially just like, look – you can pit, pitch me an idea in a month. If it doesn't happen, mm-hmm. the door stays open, and you will pitch an idea until we get something into production. That is the most, as a person who is trying to sell shit th- like that, that is the most like incredible opportunity you can possibly have: is the, an open door in a studio that that maybe you know maybe they won't say yes. The first thing in this case, they did though. Michael and
1: Brian talk about this mysterious first idea they wanted to pitch, which uh, they describe as peanuts meets fully coolie. Uh, the only common denominator was a bald protagonist, and they will not give any more details on that. But <laughs> Eric, uh, you know, while meeting with Brian before the official pitch, uh, you know, they weren't, you know, they weren't like naive about it. Brian basically said like, hey, what do you guys actually need? And so right. the year was 2002. And what the big money makers were at the time was Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter, these big fantasy franchises that could be spun off into like books and comics and movies and all this stuff the uh, f- the thing they asked for specifically and the this term comes up over and over again when talking about the origin and style of kid, avatar kid pov kid pov and lore and legend yes hey everybody i'm at my kitchen table right now to tell you about this week's sponsor keeps.com hair loss it's a common concern because it's on your head and you care about that kind of thing. Maybe you want to stop your hair from thinning more than it already has, or maybe you just know it's kind of in the cards and you want to stop it before it's even begun. Luckily, mm, science has pretty much solved that problem. In fact, there's two safe, FDA-approved treatments out there that really do work for most people. And, right now, you can get those treatments safely, easily, cheaply, and conveniently through Keeps. Getting started with Keeps is easy. Sign up takes less than 5 minutes, you just answer a few questions and snap some photos with your phone. A licensed doctor then remotely reviews your information and recommends the right treatment plan for you, and you don't even have to even think about going to a doctor's office. This is all happening when you want it, wherever you need it. Keeps offers the generic versions of the only two FDA approved hair loss products out there, some of which you probably tried before, but you've never gotten them this easily or for this price. Keeps is only $10 to $35 a month, plus now you can get your first month for free. That's right, free medicine in America. How does that happen? Uh, it's a hell of a deal to get to keep your hair. There's no reason to put this off any longer. Stop hair loss today the easy way with Keeps. To receive your first month of treatment for free, go to keeps.com wizard. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash wizard. That's a free month of the medicine you need to keep your hair at keeps dot com slash wizard. Keeps hair today, hair tomorrow.
0: And by the way, uh, just a heads up, if you are trying to pitch some kind of an animated show to a place like Nickelodeon, this is a very important thing to remember. If you come in there, uh, I love the the interview. They were like, they're like, You you wouldn't believe how many times I've got people coming in here and pitching me uh, 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 ideas about like tax attorneys or like bordellos or something like that. And and it's Roscoe
1: Jergensen was a (laughs) cop at the end of his rope.
0: (laughs) You know, coming to Disney, it was like, look, you know, you have to understand it's Nickelodeon. It's 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 got to be a kid POV. And I never really thought about it before, but it's so true. Think about every single show that goes through there. It is always pretty much either children or like childlike. Um, protagonist you know what I mean so that was the main thing and so when Brian went home that night um, apparently he uh, had this drawing of this old man uh, character that he he made a long time ago and he pulled that drawing out and he just made that character a young boy um, but kept the bald head that the old man had and there it was that was that was uh, Aang
1: there's a documentary called like the spirit of avatar there was this, like, robot with an arrow on his head. Uh, there was, like, this polar bear dog, which was, yes, like, the Legend yeah. of Korra dog. Mm-hmm. And there was this, like, little snot-nosed kid, and, but he had a bald head. And the synthesis was they put the arrow on the kid, and they, like, turned – they basically, from that initial, like, uh, 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 drawing, they kind of just built, like, the idea of this sky kid. yeah. And they and Brian started filling his notebook with drawings about like a kid floating in the clouds and like uh, this kind of. Uh, beautiful world with this like small child observing it.
0: Well, also though you have DiMartino who was really into this document or was it a, yeah a documentary I believe about early travelers in the South Pole Shackelford. Yeah, they get they get Shackleton. I forget whatever. They get marooned there essentially, and they survive through all the all these days. And so he was like inspired by that, and so art's getting created out of that, and they're combining that with the little kid, and that's sort of how they got to the initial. Uh, scenes in, in the pilot episode. So you
1: have uh, so you have this Sky Kid and this Eskimo village. And what's the enemy of an Eskimo village? Uh, a fire nation because they're burning the ice caps. Because again, it was 2002 and we still gave a shit about the
0: environment. I was going to say Captain Booger Boy, but that's why I'm not one of these guys. That you was more I mean? of a 90s thing. <laughs> that was more of a 90s thing. And, Shout out to Booger Man on and, Sega Genesis, by the way. Uh,
1: the more that they... T- and this is honestly one of the most... Thrilling things that you can do, uh, especially when you're collaborating with someone, uh, is that like rush of adrenaline as ideas kind of flow from one to the other naturally, almost like a game of Tetris, where all of a sudden you're kind of amazed that things are fitting into place. Like, uh, okay, we have these like element based societies. Does that mean that people have element based powers? And if they have element based powers, then that means that people can have fights with like without touching each other.
0: Yes, which was so important because one of the big th- other issues that they have doing a Nickelodeon show is how do we have action without violence? Right. And that was such a pivotal thing to Specifically imitatable to out.
1: violence. Mm-hmm. Because uh, again, this is a num- this is a huge thing. You can't have a kid's show on Nickelodeon where kids are physically punching each other because if any kid is like, "I'm a I'm the avatar" Pop and then just like k- k- nut punches their vice principal. You got a lawsuit on your hands. Shout out so to Rin Stimpy,
0: because that shit fucking had tons of that crazy. Venus shit. and ButtHead.
1: That was the one that I remember. Like apparently there was uh, it, in my memory, yeah. there
0: was a plague of children lighting <laughs> fires thanks to
1: Beavis <laughs> and ButtHead. Um, and so uh, you know everything's building upon each other. You have uh, you're building a magic system. You're building um, worlds. Uh, Brian's producing drawing after drawing. And uh, Michael's like kind of honing it in and kind of making it more family friendly and making it more like uh, uh, acceptable to, for a Western audience. And we're so, like,
0: still in the month mm-hmm. in between that lunch meeting and their pitch, right? Is yeah. that where we're at, right? So they haven't yet pitched the idea to Nickelodeon just yet. Three of their their three fundamentals um, were the words action, adventure, and magic. Those were the three important kind of pitch touchstones
1: give us some fucking money
0: (laughs) (laughs) and 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 um so when they went in to go pitch this with all of these ideas they put together um and again this is over eight this is over two hours long this meeting um they go in there and they have these different cards they made and put on the table action, adventure, and magic. And I love this. Again, this is like more for interest. If you uh, if you're interested in making the pitch, making the sale, they say that they found it's much more helpful to have physical things for the person you're pitching to to shuffle around and play with and maybe make a connection to um, while you're explaining all these ideas more so than a PowerPoint or obviously nothing at all. Um, It just works really well because it's just there's something about having something that they can hold in their hands and um, use to conceive of what they're talking about. Just the
1: idea of Brian. It was mostly Brian doing the talking frothing at the mouth going like and then in the earth kingdom it's more grounded it's the opposite of air so the you know and then there's toph and he's this cool buff dude because they didn't realize it was a bl- they didn't make her a blind girl it's yet.
0: honestly it is because not you have and to michael understand. is just
1: laying out sheet after sheet <laughs> after sheet just like creating this just sensory experience overloading the executive and what you
0: have to understand too is like this is again so unheard of and probably in it goes against any like pitch book that you might read in terms of a textbook giving of a pitch. Most pitches are supposed to be specifically like seven minutes long. They have to be incredibly sparse, incredibly narrow. And instead they just went in there with all of their passion and all of their energy and talked this guy's ear off, talked Eric's ear off for over two hours until finally he said, stop. I love it. But I've reached total brain saturation at this point. And the the I, quote let's, that let's I let's
1: make it the quote he uh, the quote was you had me at the first drawing. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I and, mean,
0: you know, they they were already kind of kind of win. But again, I do think that, and that's kind of like I don't know why stuff like I feel like this show is semi successful. It's just the, the the when people are just passionate about subjects, it, it, there's something that 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 that, that really. Um, just tr- trumps all else you know what i mean like like it's just so entertaining and interesting and and um you know but if you go in there with some bullshit it's making me like rethink my entire pitch process mm-hmm. you know what i mean just listening to this and i'm glad you brought up spongebob, well, you, leave, because SpongeBob you leave yourself also open to
1: that. a lot of disappointment oh yeah because it's it's very risky to put your heart out there on the line to give 110 to this indifferent room not knowing if they'll say yes or not, because yeah, going like and a co- like sitting back with a PowerPoint presentation being like, and as you can see through the the success of uh Pokemon, uh we can tell that the merchandising opportunities around <laughs> right. ten year old to twelve year olds right. will be ideal, especially in Q four. And then like and if the, you know, executives say no, you can like move on with your dignity. But if you're just like heaving being like and then with the final bit of his avatar energy he holds fire lord ozai in his hands and a beam of light shoots (laughs) from his mouth and like and then the guy's like yeah no <laughs> what's wrong with you yeah Go can you do that
0: home. but no you know what it is more uh, I like um Aang but can you make him a talking crow and just remove the whole uh, other element of this that made this interesting that's normally what happens it's not even I don't like this it's literally like yeah can you change it to a, just a random stupid idea I just had um, that'll totally suck all of your passion out of the project but, so we need we wanna I don't know because today is Tuesday and I decided after lunch I wanted talking crow yeah, you know what I mean. Is like so obnoxious, but at the end of the day, you know they came. I mean, they came in with all three seasons. By the way, like they had every single or book rather, mm-hmm. all three books. They they came in with the whole story uh, nailed down. Um, again, one thing I love about Avatar is that it is finite. That it, it was uh, always intended to be. Um, a story that gets told that has a definitive ending to it. And I love that they've stuck by that. Aside from, you know, um, filling in gaps of story stuff with uh, the comic books and things like that, they really just stuck to the idea that Avatar Last Airbender, three books. I think originally it was just one season uh, intended and then it expanded off. Korra
1: of that. uh Legend of Korra definitely was only supposed to be was a one. Miniseries? But those
0: are standalone seasons too, yeah. essentially. Like those can kind of be on their own. Whereas Airbender is like mm-hmm. a full on story. And again, something that I don't like a lot necessarily about some a lot certain anime shows. Like that just go on forever and ever and ever. You know what I mean? Like, you can just say Dragon One Ball. Piece. It's fine. It's I was, t- was going to say Dragon Ball, but yeah, One Piece as well. Dragon Ball's fun.
1: You because you can keep seeing where Toriyama desperately wanted to end the yes, series. Yes. <laughs> and uh, you know the suits did have their their way. They definitely like helped guide uh, the process. Uh, Coleman specifically worked with Brian because uh, Zuko was didn't originally have his scar, and so it was just this like angry bald headed kid. And that looked too. I believe the word was skinheady. Yes. So they, you know, there was like there were concessions made to mass marketing. There was concessions made to the people that did understand what like worked in a children's program. Mm-hmm. And I feel mm-hmm. like uh, another thing that made the show worthwhile is that Brian brought the uh, the intense level of like focus and uh, dedication and obsessiveness that makes good world building while uh, Eric and Michael kind of like rounded it out into a more fleshed out, more lovable show.
0: Right. So they, so they, they, and now they've worked with so many different teams at this point. They, they know exactly who they want to bring in on this project. They hire a writer named Aaron uh, Ehas, um, who uh, they worked with, uh, on uh mission hill did you ever watch mission i don't really i love mission hill. really it was
1: very much gen x like slacker ah, comedy gotcha Aaron also worked on futurama mm-hmm. and uh that's a thing that is kind of i mean fans know this but i feel like a lot of people don't really get uh the show is genuinely funny there is some yes. great bits yes and uh
0: another thing that literally was one of the first things that i was told in terms of a recommendation to see it it's like it's like it's it's an American anime essentially and it's surprisingly funny.
1: And more specifically what makes it kind of uh so lovable in my eyes is uh when you watch an anime there's tons of jokes that kind of fly over your head or are kind of lame because you don't have the right context for it. Uh even beyond like the 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 horny stuff it's like puns or like physical gags that just you just you know you just kind of wash over you and it's just like trope anime jokes but Mm -hmm. uh avatar has like solid like punchlines, and even the lame jokes like Sokka the the non-bending brother of Katara who uh just has like vaudeville jokes like lame puns but like because you have the right context for them they hit harder than a Japanese pun Mm -hmm. that was crudely translated by a localization team Mm -hmm. uh not only that but again what makes it an amazing combination is Brian like would take suggestions from uh, the Korean team. There's mm. a animator who was instrumental in Legend of Korra. He was basically brought up to the big leagues named uh, Ki-hyun Ryu, who uh, like the famous foaming mouth guy, mm. uh, which is from a season one episode where it was supposed to be just kind of a comical react overreaction to like uh, Aang doing a little trick. He just like starts flailing and foaming at the mouth, and it becomes this huge in joke, this this amazing like solid punch that Brian trusted the Korean team to add. Like, mm-hmm. there's like fuck it, it works, yeah. and it's more of a style of like the poses, the physical comedy is more of an anime style joke, but it, it they incorporated.
0: So, and and a thing you got to realize too, and one thing I didn't really think about until they talked about it that you don't really get with um maybe like a, a live action show is like. Oh, uh, the first season of an animation show is insanely difficult for any staff because they're literally all learning a new style, a new approach. You know, once it's set in stone, they can kind of it's a little bit more breezy after that first season and especially after that first, you know, pilot. Mm-hmm. But like everybody has to get on the same page with a new animation style and now and they're incorporating anime. I love this uh quote from Brian about um their their love for anime um and and why they love it so much, there is such a keen sense of observation in much of the animation out of Japan in the study of movement, cloth, perspective, optics, lighting, and effects. But like most of my American colleagues, I was no expert at drawing this style either. I had struggled every day for two years to capture the essence at the heart of what I loved in designs from studios like Gainax and Studio Geely. Um, I was also uh, conscious of not wanting to merely copy one studio's or artist's style, which must have been very difficult. You know what I mean? I mean or get too stylish with character designs. And that It's was a common thing.
1: thing in anime like uh, that if there's a good fight sequence or a good series of movements like a, a, a shady anime studio, we'll just lift it whole cloth just because they need to get it out the door. Right. And, you know. Uh, copying an existing sequence is infinitely easier than trying to work out the mechanics of how to draw it in. Like, well, fresh. and then
0: their their brilliant turn, which we'll get way more into in just a little bit, is oh. filming the sequence, the, the actual fighting sequences, and then I love this. I love this part, but we got a we. That's a whole can of worms we're gonna get to in just a second. Um, another thing, another uh, quote. Um, that I enjoyed about also though keeping things very simple and I think that Avatar has a simplicity in its animation as well that is uh, wonderful Um, and this is the quote from from Brian the most important thing for Mike and me was to be able to connect with our characters emotionally and I feel sometimes the slicker the design the harder it is to relate to a character so I did my best to incorporate the elements that I connected with and to inject a bit of my own sensibilities in there um, so I feel like environmentally there's a lot going on, but when it comes to the actual design of the characters, everyone has like very specific defining qualities um, that allow you to just um really get you know get introduced to them and get running with them.
1: So uh, you mentioned the martial arts,
0: yeah, dude. And the
1: problem is if you're going to incorporate uh you know this these martial arts and this intricately animated like the core magic system of the series uh is reliant on martial
0: arts you're going to need an expert because and well and and this is the thing too talking about the ma- quote-unquote magic um they wanted the, theirs to be completely different from wizards and wands and what you're seeing in harry potter and what you're seeing in uh, lord of the rings with gandalf and whatnot they wanted theirs to stand out and be its own thing you know so they they realized that they needed to um they 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 started to think we want it to be natural and we want it to be physical. And one of the most important things, one of the things I'm dealing right with right now in my pitch is what are the rules mm-hmm. of the magic? What are the rules of this world? We have to we have to nail that stuff down and 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 stick with it. And I feel like they came up with such good rules and uh, and such a good basis for this uh, martial art incorporated magic. Brian said, We wanted the elemental bending to be based on authentic Chinese traditional martial arts, believing this would lend a beauty and resonance to the animation and the fictitious uh, disciplines. Once we had that idea, I started looking for a kung fu teacher, martial arts consultant. My search led me to Sifu Kisu. Basically, one of the production staff was
1: probably an intern, got the call, like, we need someone in in, in the L.A. area. Who's a martial arts expert that we can bring on as a consultant? Uh, Brian uh, got Kisu's name, showed up to his class, which was basically in his home backyard. Yeah. And like, Sifu Kisu is like the ultimate intense like yes sensei guy like he grew up in Canada ended up working as a bodyguard he served in the military he was a Taekwondo champion and like he's so rad he talks he's one of those guys that like talks about martial arts as like a psychologically necessary like thing that helped him find balance in his life which is like. I'm always like a little bit weirded out by people like that because it's like, oh, I wanted to kill all the time until uh, I learned how to focus it in choreographed kicking.
0: Yeah, he said the philosophy of martial arts is not being just about learning how to fight, but more about being a vehicle to master oneself. This is a dude who has traveled all over the place. He he did time in the military. Um uh he was raised in Toronto, he was in martial arts at an early age, he ended up studying uh karate and jujitsu with his uncles, then he moved on his to his uncles
1: who were Vietnam vets. Yeah.
0: Then he moved then he moved on to the Shorin Ryu style, then Taekwondo. He even went to Korea to study before training in the Northern Shaolin style. All under these incredible masters. Like, he would go seek them out. Like, he was that dude. He would, like, climb to the top of the fucking mountain and find the bearded guy, you know, and, and, and learn from him. And then, like... Carry jugs of water around or whatever the fuck they were doing. It, he was the perfect guy because he 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 trained in all these different fighting styles, and that's exactly what they needed because they have these different magic types, and they have to apply a different um, martial art essentially to each one of these magic types. And he just it, there's a great interview um, with him where he talks his way through kind of approaching, and we'll talk about each fighting style with each bend. Let's do it, of course. But but he like the way he describes the process is they were like okay there's going to be airbending and he was like all right well that's light that's oh that's immediately this style you know that's immediately bagua you know um which utilizes light circle walking techniques and the eight trigram palm uh, it's a real
1: w- wily style it's yeah. all about like kind of uh staying out of the line of attack for your enemy and like kind of basically walking circles around them and avoiding them and a lot of like swirling motion.
0: Shifting and rotating your center in order to counteract resistance and attack. That is Bagua, which is airbending. Waterbending is Tai Chi. Which you
1: recognize from uh, old ladies in the
0: park. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Kisu took inspiration from the styles fluidity, connectivity, and adaptability, all of which became fundamental concepts for all three waterbending styles. Then you have earthbending, which is Hung Gar. Kisu took inspiration from the style's low stances rooted power and strength earth bending perfect right and then fire bending is the northern shaolin that he studied um this element has many fe- manifestations uh it controlled it's one way out of control it's completely different much like a, f- a flame much like fire um, not only
1: that but the strikes all end in like a big snap ha. which is exactly like a spark igniting a flame so it matched so perfectly
0: i love the other one too is, is uh the the grasshopper, uh, oh, oh, style. Oh, uh, uh, so they got they got, a, they got guy another in.
1: guy, Sifu do you Manny. Just, do you just love this guy? I, I love have... Sifu Manny because the whole because uh, in the like documentary Jake. he looks like me. <laughs> He looks like old me, he's, and he's like has a cane, he's got a fucking huge gut.
0: He's a guy that you would never think would be like a master fucking fighter. And the whole ever. time
1: they're like pointing to Sifu Manny. I'm like, okay, Sifu Manny, whatever <laughs> you say. Uh, but he mastered this uh obscure form of martial arts that was known as like the mantis crane style. Mm-hmm. And uh that this was the weird, style that was quick. specifically
0: chosen for tough. Yes.
1: And Uh, describe
0: that character uh, blind right yeah Telf
1: is a uh, 12 year old girl who was sheltered by her family due to her disability but she yearns to uh, break out and prove her worth and has a unique airbending style and uh, she meets Aang in the fighting pits Uh, and she has this kind of like no nonsense fucking bootstrap attitude that like uh, made her a huge fan with Nerds. Like, it's always like, I'm always a little bit wary when someone's like, toast your favorite character because it's like, all right, buddy, I bet you have ideas about fucking welfare queens. Like, I don't, I don't know. Uh, shit, I swear I wouldn't get like this. Um, but... uh Sifu Manny style like he finally gets up and like once he's in close range
0: you're already fucking dead it's insane yeah yeah it's crazy looking and
1: it's all based on like no look motion so mm -hmm. Sifu Manny just kind of like steps into your like your your air you know kind of gets into your instep and then just Yeah. Like with just, ah, oh, it's so cool.
0: It's very cool. It's very reactive. It's just, it's just, it's it's right up on you. It's really cool style and a really neat thing. Also, the Swordmaster's appearance and personality is a dedication to Sifu Kisu. Um, so, they look
1: exactly alike.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that's like your little tidbit. But the coolest thing is, and I love they showed us So much footage of this. You talk about, like, lack of camera angles and stuff like King of the Hill, too. They would film all of these sequences, and they would do it in a semi-cinematic way. They would do, like, uh, uh, apparently they had an average of, like, three video sessions for every episode. But these video sessions would be these long um, uh, just, just filming of... Different moves, different, uh, different fights between. And what I love too it was is Ki-
1: it was Sifu Kisu and
0: Brian. and Brian, and and the animator himself is is like right up in there doing the these. And I love that Sifu Kisu is just fucking him up. <laughs> it's so fun to watch. He's just like biting his arm all weird. And he's like ah, and stuff And they're filming all of this stuff, and they're getting different angles, and they're just translating that directly into the fighting that you see on the show, which is why it's so feels so interesting, so real, so fluid, and not and just only that, amazing.
1: But uh, the other big, thi- besides the action, uh, the comedy, the big reactions were also filmed by Brian and Michael mm. that they would like go to a conference room and like kind of c- take photographs of the kind of like uh, big, ex- the the show is known for these big expressions, these like unique facial ex- uh p- face poses that's just an expression again Um, (laughs) and they would like you know uh, make sure that when a embarrassed grimace was written in the script that they would set like attach a photo like we mean this kind of expression so Mm -hmm. it was the level of granular control that they had over how everything would like impact and land and while still incorporating the uh, input from everyone else on the creative team was
0: kind of amazing Hey everybody, Holden here. If you know me, you know I hate leaving the house, especially for day-to-day tasks like groceries or laundry or anime figurine purchases. And hey, that includes mailing stuff too. That's where Stamps.com comes in. With Stamps.com, you can access all the services of the post office right from your desk or couch, if you're like me, or bed, or toilet if you're like me. You can buy and print real U.S. postage for any letter or any package, all available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Just click, print, mail, and you're done. Stamps.com will even send you a digital scale to weigh your letters and packages and print the exact amount of postage every time. I love using this service to mail out our Patreon t-shirts. I use it monthly for that and have it zero issue. I'm telling you, it's great. And right now, you can use Wizard for this special offer. It's a 4-week trial that includes postage and a digital scale go to stamps.com before you do anything else click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and type in wizard that's stamps.com and enter wizard to get your four-week trial today This is all what we were talking about earlier about how they wanted to change the process Mm -hmm. and how they wanted to start incorporating new ways of doing things. Even the music itself composed by Jeremy Zuckerman and Ben Wynn. The track team. The track team. They brought in all these exotic instruments. They had a completely different uh, process for for creating the music for the show than than most other animation shows at the time. Uh, you know, it was it was uh, they they just got really wild with with the especially the instruments they brought in in order to um, create these different tracks. And again, it was a, another element of synthesizing different cultures instruments. And and instrumentation styles into one kind of gorgeous um, composition for for the show, which is such a a cool, impressive thing that they did. And really, just if you look at all of the art, all of the – it is such a fascinating cultural event, this – this whole thing one one issue culturally they've always had they've always had an issue though with whitewashing when it comes to the casting of the voice actors and then later with um the M. Night Shyamalan's uh well I guess we'll
1: end on M. Night Shyamalan
0: we'll talk yeah oh we'll talk about M. Night Shyamalan so that's that's an
1: interesting thing because um there was a lot of even back then even before like maximum social media wokeness there was a lot of raised eyebrows that this very asian tale mm-hmm. was uh produced by uh, a team of white creators written by a white head writer and you know the the uh main voice cast was heavily although i think very well cast by andrea rosen who did like batman the animated series and a lot of dc universe stuff besides uh mako <laughs> Doing Uncle Eero, who was fucking badass, and uh, and
0: they would later get Dev Patel to replace the original voice actor, I believe. For um, well, Mako
1: died for, uh, Z- for
0: Zuko, didn't they? Or oh or no, is-
1: Zuko was Dante Brasco, who ah. you might remember as fucking Rufio from Hook.
0: Yeah, which is
1: weird because he has this still has this very young voice, but by the time I guess the I'm show thinking recorded, of
0: actually the film. I think I'm thinking yeah. of the film. So, uh, which I'm sorry, listeners, but we're gonna talk about it. I'm sorry, so- Avatar: Last Airbender fans, we're gonna talk. About
1: it. But by the time the show aired, the show kind of demonstrated a very like just a genuine level of heart and consideration mm-hmm. and respect that uh made it so beloved by Asian people. Uh, I can't believe I'm t- I'm not talking out of turn that, you know, the fact that it, you know, Prince Zuko. His whole story was about like confronting an imperialist uh, growing up under an imper- in an imperialist country uh refugees migration uh adapting new cultures and old cultures Katara had a whole arc where she was like raging against uh you know paternalism and sexism in a traditional
0: culture and it and it and it definitely lent itself also to have a very being very mixed gender fans like there was a both mi- strong male and female fan component. oh the
1: shippers were fucking the, almost the story of like I, I'm surprised yeah I have to, okay I'm just gonna take a second to acknowledge this female like the way that the show addressed relationships and kind of had tension and like they took the time to include uh, moments where characters would like be a little cautious and wonder like oh does this person like me does this person Uh, You know, there was... I don't want to say sexual tension because these characters were, like, not even, like, 17. But there was romantic tension between these characters that gave fans so much to root for. Uh, Katara should have ended up with Zuko. It's very obvious. Like, it's just... (laughs) Like even if Aang was in love with uh, Katara, it's that it was literally the first girl he ever saw after he emerged from a ice spear. You're not supposed to end up with the first girl that you're like, oh, I like girl. Like right. it's, that's not how that works. You're supposed to end up with the fucking scarred bad boy that makes you reconsider shit.
0: So since I've seen much less now, now that we're talking about that, I've seen since I've seen much less of the show. Is there any kind of strong moments that stand out to you as someone who's seen a, a, a decent bit more of it? um were there any any kind of standout? Epi- uh, the stand Secret out?
1: Tunnel song is amazing. Uh, <laughs> the Cabbage's Guy. Uh, there's a lot of really brilliant episodes. Uh, they, another thing the show really does well is save the animation budget for these larger-than-life fi- uh, mm-hmm. finales. Because it, it, this is a story about a world at war. A yeah.
0: centuries-long war. Yeah. Um, With some pretty p- intense... Uh, you know, subjects for children as well. And again, giving them the respect that they can handle them. I mean, it even speaks about you know, like genocide and things like that uh, in the show. And that's, that's, it's pretty wild that they were able to uh, get away with what they did get away with in terms of that sort of stuff.
1: The warriors of Kyoshi was an episode I really enjoyed that kind of had this unique kind of idea of an all <laughs> girls, like uh, a kind of a new idea of what a warrior is supposed to be. The uh, the water master is a really good episode that's Katara focused. Lake Gao guy is really intense. The entire bossing say, I, I think season two is my favorite. Okay, um, why, why?
0: Why? Like, what are these? What are these? Uh... Uh,
1: just it's uh, the team is officially established. They bring yeah. Toph into the mix. And uh, the idea of this walled-off city and this kind of, like, secret society and machinations behind the scenes, uh, there's political intrigue. It's almost – it's like Game of Thrones for kids
0: a little bit. It really is. But, but, uh, again, we say for kids, but I know so many adult fans of this show, you know? Like, um, it was literally one of those that was pitched to me as, like – it's it's uh it's on Nickelodeon it's a kid show but it's not like it's so good and so yeah um the
1: Ember Island Players is a very late 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 episode which you shouldn't watch first but it was kind of this brilliant and beloved episode where the uh main cast actually watches a crude play version of their previous adventures Hmm. and it kind of like is this meta journey to how even the creative team themselves look at their past work it's very
0: clever that's awesome um you know, characters. I can't, I honestly, I cannot wait to watch this show now. I just have to finish like eight other anime series first. But um, I really, I really do, uh, will do absolutely plan to sit down. Bitter and watch
1: Work it. is also a really solid episode. If you know what? Uh, if you're not like, I don't know, I feel like that's a really solid episode that kind of gives you, it gives you tough being cool. It gives you Ahsoka uh, shenanigans. It gives you Aang being mopey. It gives you like Zuko and Iroh. Oh, fucking Uncle Iroh is maybe. The most, like, beloved and, like, just calming adult presence in the history of animation. Mm. You know, just this old fucking hippy-dippy dude who loves tea, loves humor, and secretly is a fucking killer nightmare warrior behind the- <laughs> It's so good. Uh, I actually have not watched the entire series. This is always – it's, it's the, the excitement that I'm kind of – I hope I'm communicating right now is because I've been watching so many of these episodes for the first time yeah. for this episode. Awesome. Uh, I even watched a bunch of Korra, which is incredible and an achievement in animation. Uh, We just literally couldn't get through it. I mean,
0: we will say um, they essentially they pitched uh, an Avatar follow up animated movie based on the three-part comic books, which are called The Promise, The Search, and The Rift. Um, But instead, they ended up picking up The Legend of Korra, which was initially supposed to be a 12-episode miniseries, and that, of course, expanded uh, to 26 episodes, and then into four seasons, or as they call them, books, um, with each one telling a standalone story. It's set 70 years after the events of Avatar, where, where you essentially have a new Avatar with Legend of Korra, and um or with Cora rather and uh yeah it's what's amazing about it is like it's seven years in the future so it's like what if like New York essentially was in this world like they built up you know um a society in big cities and you have these giant incredible landscape uh animations and it's just supposed to be so amazing and an even further step forward uh, in terms of the ambition for the animation that they were working on uh, since Avatar. It sounds like they were really overworked, and it sounds like making Avatar and making Legend of Korra is just straight up completely exhausting yeah. in every sense of the word. I mean, these people are busting their ass um, to, to pump out this stuff. This is not made easily.
1: Just once, I would love to do a, one of these episodes where you go into something that was so meticulous and so beloved and so high quality, and the creators are just like, man, I fucking showed up to work drunk, took a shit, and then I left five minutes later, and it was the best thing ever.
0: <laughs> um, So let's talk about it. Avatar, or, or rather, The Last Airbender, M. Night Shyamalan's daughter, Wanted to be Katara for Halloween, and he ended up watching the series with his family. This led him to deciding to write, direct, and produce a live-action feature film. And I think this is kind of one of those... I think Shyamalan's greatest trick, his greatest, like, twist that, that uh, we don't talk about enough when it comes to his stuff is his ability to convince. It's like he has a Men in Black memory stick and he just shows it to the people he's pitching his idea to to get his movie made and uh, uh, so that they forget all, all of his movies except for Sixth Sense and Unbreakable. And and he's able to get these movies made time and time and time again. And in this case, uh, DiMartino and Konetsuko were both enthusiastic about Shyamalan's involvement. They, they At first, they they he, he, I think, really probably just Sold them up. Very, no, no, I think he's very good at passionately talking about. So, this, so here's
1: where the kind of chickens came home to roost because the you know Nickelodeon didn't really approve Avatar because they wanted a beloved, inclusive television show that synthesized the strengths of both American animation and anime with a uh, clear moral vision mm-hmm. of a uh, of a cooperative future. Uh, what they did was they wanted their Harry Potter. They yeah. wanted. Their Lord of the Rings and uh, the economic downturn of 2008 happened. Mm, mm-hmm. Uh, the show was deemed too expensive, and so they want you know, they were desperate for a hit, they were desperate for a big fucking money maker. And so it was uh, it was Nickelodeon and M. Knight who really like pushed it forward, and Paramount and Paramount. While
0: uh, is Paramount initially was willing to spend 250 million dollars on a trilogy of films for Avatar
1: and uh. You know, Nickelodeon wouldn't walk away from that amount of money. Uh, Brian and Michael uh, were stuck in kind of this position where, you know, if they were going to make an Avatar movie, they wanted to make an Avatar movie. And if they wanted to make an Avatar movie, they wanted to animate it because they were fucking animators. And their whole point is this is a story we want to tell through animation. But they still had to, like, stay involved because if they were openly hostile to it, their names would get taken. out. You know, they wouldn't get producer credits they wouldn't you know they're you know it was still theirs and they, they you know you would lose your cut
0: right um so so yeah uh so they start casting the film they had to remove the name avatar from the film so it's just called the last airbender because of the other avatar movie um they get this kid noah ringer to play Aang. Uh, essentially what happened was he he had begun practicing uh, Taekwondo at the age of 10. He won title of Texas State Champion on the American Taekwondo Association. He was nicknamed Avatar. He was a little flippy boy. Yeah, he was a little bald flippy. He would, he would shave his head uh, while training to help just cool down, essentially. And so he was actually nicknamed Avatar before any of this uh, happened. And... um He'd never acted before. He made a tape with his instructors and sent it in. And uh, this was Shyamalan's biggest mistake initially was just casting this kid who'd never... He took an acting class for a month before filming began. That is his only acting work. And it shows. He's not a very strong performer. He just looks just like Aang. And he can do flippy flips.
1: Uh the real mistake was casting whoever did Sokka because Jesus Christ, that kid was
0: oh, yeah,
1: wooden as hell. It, what was supposed to be like the core, like comedic relief role was just this fucking non entity. But
0: it, you say comedic, but Shyamalan removed the quote unquote kitty humor from the film version, and so it's super self serious, which completely deflates so much of what makes Avatar great is that comedy, you know, and and he removed. Any amount of that, it's kind of dark and it's like it's very M Night Shyamalan looking. You know what I mean? And that's not really the look of that show. You know, uh, an absurd amount of special effects were needed. The budget ended up being 150 million dollars just for that first film, um, with another 130 million dollars later being spent on marketing costs. They also- another thing, oh, the, all
1: the bending effects are awful. Like, yeah, uh, because in animation you can like actually get, you can do, you can skirt the line where kids are punching near each other and fire is going near them and you can like, you can frame it, you can animate it so it's still cool and it's still like um, visceral but in in the movie, it's just like a bunch of people waving their arms around while CGI stuff like, Fake flies by. It's so fucking
0: infuriating. It, it, it's also bafflingly ninety minutes long to tell this giant epic fucking story that that they clearly like. There's so much ridiculous exposition in this in the movie too, where they just explain to you giant story points because they're moving around. And apparently, Shyamalan said he's used to making these ninety-minute thrillers, so that's just what he's used to. So that's why he just never he just doesn't understand how to approach an epic. You know what I mean? He said, I bring as much integrity to the table as humanly possible. This is M. Night Shyamalan. It must be a language thing in terms of a particular accent, a storytelling accent. I can only see it this certain way and I don't know how to think in another language. I think these are exactly the visions that are in my head so I don't know how to adjust it without being me. He just doesn't know how to like not make an M. Night Shyamalan movie. (laughs) Which um, um, is arguably, uh, you know, good or bad. Uh, Roger Ebert, Uh, I love doing the Roger Ebert reviews when we talk about film failures. The last AR bender is an agonizing experience in every category I can think of and others still uh, waiting to be invented. The laws of chance suggest that something should have gone right. Not here. It puts a nail in the coffin of low rent 3d, but it will need a lot more coffins than that. And that was the other thing. They sort of last minute, just retcon the film into being a 3d movie, which added a bunch more money onto it. And um, even James Cameron came out talking about how, like, you can't just do that with 3D. Like, you have to make a movie with 3D in mind from the get-go. You can't just, like, d- oh, okay, 3D's popular now. I guess I'll just slap 3D onto this film.
1: Nothing's worse than, like, shoddy post-process 3D. Yeah. Because you're, like,
0: paying extra for just dim disappointment. Just bullshit, yeah. Uh, hey,
1: you know, there's uh, – on the Patreon – we did a giggle flick. We of this. <laughs> did a giggle flicks
0: of this movie, and I've like blocked it out of my head, dude. I barely remember anything about that movie. We
1: got pretty drunk and screamed at everything wrong with the movie. That
0: was that was a big part of it. We were pretty drunk, but um, yeah, that is that is the woeful tale. It of was the last actually year, a huge there, hit. It did make a ton of money and it, did yeah. great overseas. I think it's a very good international. And yeah.
1: uh, it's it's conceivable that uh, without that, the brand wouldn't be uh, kind of seen as profitable for the nickelodeon suits mm. and so without it like we might not have gotten legend of cora um
0: and also of course
1: and without uh but of course all of this wouldn't have been possible without garfield the hilarious arch cat right uh, as envisioned by jim it sounded Davis.
0: like more of a peanuts thing than it really was a garfield thing i mean just throwing it out there in september of 2018 it was announced that a new live action remake is in the works at netflix Executive produced this time by our boys, DiMartino and Konetsko. Um, from the two in a press release they said we can't wait to realize ang's world as cinematically as we always imagine it to be and with a culturally appropriate non-whitewashed cast which again the Shamla movie also got flack for having a whitewashed cast it's a once no in a they lifetime, did have
1: one nation that was of color and it was the bad guys The bad guys
0: <laughs> right it's uh it's a once in a lifetime chance to build upon everyone's great work on the original animated series and go even deeper into the character story action and world building building so hopefully it's good I definitely read an interview where it was like um it was a terrible interview by the way because he was like how did you create avatar and they're like well it's in this book you can buy mm. okay uh well how did you do this read the book i was like is this really an?" it why would you even post they've, they've told that story a million times but you at can the very exactly buy. but at the very beginning of the um of the interview they were like they requested that we not ask them about the m night Shyamalan film so I don't think they like to talk about it very much, and I uh, understandably so, but fuck it. Uh, they're still making it happen. Um, they've had such a great success. They seem like pretty, pretty cool dudes, you know, and uh, I don't know. I, I thoroughly enjoyed doing this episode and learning about not just um, the art of making great animation, but the art of the pitch and the art of having passion for something, and getting your project made. Amazing stuff from these two.
1: Uh, I really appreciated how this was kind of a focal point for... Uh, The post anime kind of the global anime world that we live in. now. Yes, because, uh, you know, uh, even in Japan, uh, different series are adapting different styles. Uh, You you know, there's series coming out of France. There's series coming out of China. Uh, Everything's kind of like blurring together. And the idea of action packed, serialized storytelling uh, isn't limited to one nation. Uh you know we everybody has an anime within them now and even uh fans in Japan like Cora and Avatar like it all it's exactly. this big fucking cool stuff. And that's
0: why I say yeah, hell yes to cultural appropriation.
1: Secret tunnel. <laughs> secret tunnel. <laughs>
0: Thank you, there, <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for joining us. My um,
1: cabbages. There, I got in my cabbages reference.
0: Thank you, everybody, for joining us. If you want to uh, patronize us further or help support the show financially, go on patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Your support means everything. We've been charting really well on Games and Hobbies and iTunes. Write a review on iTunes. That also helps so, so much if you haven't already. Now,
1: hold on. That would mean that they'd actually have to just pick up the phone that's in their pocket right now that they're listening to and just hit the review button on their phone. I don't know if we can expect them to take that leap.
0: Um, Also, uh, if you want to follow me, check out other stuff I'm doing, go on twitch.tv forward slash Ho.
1: Jake? You can follow me on Twitter at bestjakeyoung. And all this talk about pitch and excitement and passion uh, just makes me, uh, I just want to tell you guys about Uh, Dropout, which is this uh, new platform that we've been doing through Dorkly and College Humor and Drawfee Uh, on there is a comic series called the legend of Jared. It is maybe my favorite thing I've ever worked on. It is a comic series that I've written with Tony Wilson and with art by Andy Cluthy. And it is a, uh, a, a, a journey of discovery across the country. We have, uh, we have. Uh, it's, we have and
0: you might as well call it Avatar Part Two.
1: I just I feel as good about this comic and the weird, gross puppet making dick jokes in it <laughs> as I do about a- Aang and the world of Avatar. Uh, I think if you love this show, if you love our sense of humor, you would absolutely dig what we're throwing down. Uh, you can find a preview of it on uh, my Twitter. Uh, we did a motion comic. I did the voice of the puppet. But uh, Legend of Jared on Dropout. Give it a whirl. Just fucking give it a shot. I think you'll appreciate it. Uh, but until next time, hey, man, keep on whizzin',
0: Never stop bruising. You fucks. <laughs>